right, guys. Awesome. My name is Jacob, one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're here with some of the confirmation students, immediately following this service, we'll have another service that you get to come to where we'll have each, child, each student come up and have special time of prayer and, and confirmation over them. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end. But pretty cool, huh? 20 students who profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Awesome. I want to make sure you guys uh, are aware of something that's happening this week in our community. Wednesday night at Charlie Daniels Park, there is an Everyone's Wilson National Day of Prayer gathering. The National Day of Prayer is Thursday, but our community is having an event on Wednesday night. Uh, It begins at 5 p.m. with food trucks, and then from 6 to 8, there will be a time of prayer and worship. Uh, We'll have dozens of churches that will be there. Uh, Gina will be one of the ones leading us in worship. It's going to be awesome. Everyone's Wilson is us. That's the group that has formed out of this group of pastors pastors and churches that I've been telling you guys about for a couple of years. Uh, It started as an initiative to see churches of different uh, races, black churches and white churches, come together and seek to be a part of race reconciliation in our community. But from that has risen this dream for a whole lot more. And so everyone's Wilson, one faith, one mission, one community for everyone. Uh, This is our first public gathering, and I would love to have a big uh, Providence Church contingent show up on on Wednesday night. It's going to be super fun. Like I said, at 6, we'll start this sort of prayer gathering, praying over teachers, praying over our city leaders, and there'll be a lot of different preachers together, so uh, I don't know how long it'll last, uh, but you can like slip out after my time is over. You can just like, no, we wouldn't want to do that. We're all together, but if it gets long, we'll just catch each other's eye and and uh, slip out. Um, but it's going to be, I'm just being silly. It's going to be awesome, but it's going to be crazy, right? We're bringing, I'm talking about, we had a meeting for it this week, dozens and dozens of churches that are going to be there. And this is something really this church has led as a way of saying we're all in this together. And we believe that the people of God in this community aren't about just being in our own room uh, once a week, but that we have a common uh, goal and mission uh, to see people's lives changed. We want to see everyone fed everyone free from addiction, everyone safe, and everyone ready in our, in our community. That means we have a hunger problem. We have this dream. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we're working together to see that there's no hungry people in Wilson County. We want to see everyone free from addiction. We have an opioid abuse uh, uh, cataclysmic issue in our community where people are dying, and, and we think the churches should be a part of, of leading people to freedom. Uh, We want to see everyone safe from domestic violence, human trafficking, child abuse. We want to come alongside our first responders. That's what everyone safe is about. And everyone ready is that we want to see every student that turns 18 in our community be ready for God's big dream for their lives. And there's a lot of things that hold students back from that. And so our first public event is this Wednesday night. And our first initiative is going to be a school partnership program where every school in Wilson County and hopefully the Lebanon City School District has a partner church that comes alongside them. We, we are leading that effort. Providence Church is the, is, is the one who's leading that effort. I had a meeting with the director of schools, Dr. Donna Wright, this week, and she gave us a huge green light to say that we can come into the schools and partner alongside the teachers to make sure every kid is fed and make sure these kids whose parents are addicted are getting what they need and make sure that they're being read to and their grade levels are going up because they build prisons based on the third grade le- reading level and all those kind of things. Are you guys still in on this? Are we good? Okay, I'll just make sure we're on the same page. <laughs> so uh, 
That was a little bit more than you needed, but this Wednesday is our first way as a, of a community of churches of different colors and different sizes to come together and say, we want to see this happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to take uh, the power of God for that to happen, but we have the power of God. So let's go for it, all right? Cool. Um, take a breath. Uh, Jeremy Goodwin died on Wednesday night. Jeremy was a charter member of this church. Um, he did everything here over the years. He ran sound. He set up chairs. He worked in Providence Kids. He got the donuts on Sunday morning and brought them here. He made coffee. He was a greeter. He was an usher. He served on our personnel committee. Um, he lived the vision of this church. Jeremy was 35 years old, and he died suddenly from a blood clot in his heart, and he gave his life to this church. Jeremy's only uniform was Dell Computers, where he worked, and a Providence Church shirt, wherever he was. Um, and I just wanted you to hear his name, okay? Even if you didn't know him, I wanted you to hear his name, because he was a saint of this church. He leaves behind his beautiful wife, Joy, and their two sons, Jack and Jacob. They're seven and four. And his service, his uh, funeral and resurrection service is going to be in this room uh, at 2 p.m. today. And I just wanted to kind of put that out. Even if you don't know Jeremy, if you want to come because this is your church and just stand alongside this family to, so that they'll know they're not alone, I would love for you to be here. We're going to have another worship service um, to celebrate his life. And um, to authentically be your teacher and preacher today, I needed to say all that, okay? Because we come here when we're feeling good and when we're hurting. I don't know if you come here a bunch, but you can come here hurting if that's where you're at today. Um, you can come here when things make sense and when they don't make sense. You can come here when you're saying, what in the world, God? You can come here when you have the energy to come and when you don't feel like you have the energy to come. Right? We, want, we want this to be a place uh, where you can come. And we're starting a new series today that is for tired people. It's for tired people. That's basically it. I'll dig a little bit deeper, but it's for people who have overscheduled themselves. It's for those of you who may not claim burnout yet, but you're a little bit toasty today. This is a series for those of you who may feel like your life's a bit out of control, or you may just feel numb to it all because you've got so much going on, so much weighing on you. Um, it's a series for those of us who are basically addicted to technology, and I'll, make, I'll try to make that connection between being really tired and receiving all this information. It's for those of us who maybe even haven't been honest with ourselves about where we're at. Because if you don't stop, it's hard to know where you're really at. So no biggie. We're just going to be talking for the next four weeks about the difference between life and the thing that we just kind of do that's not really life. Last summer, I took a month off uh, from working here because I was really tired. And so the church gave me uh, a month off. Actually, Jeremy, who was a part of that leadership team, was one of those ones who said, you need a break. And I encountered a verse last summer that's just sort of, I haven't been able to rid myself of it, this phrase in a verse. Uh, in fact, I've been reading the Bible, searching for it, journaling around this phrase. And it was written by David, who was actually rescued from his enemy. His enemy was Saul, and he was about to have his life taken, and he was rescued out of battle. And he wrote this prayer that became a psalm in our Bible, but it was really a song. David was a songwriter. David was a musician. And so I've asked Lee, who's a great musician, uh, to hang up here with me for a little bit. Thanks, Lee. And just as we read the scripture, just a little bit different, I just want you to hear it and think about a songwriter, David, warrior guy who got rescued and then was trying to find the words to say, 
oh man, I really needed to get out of that place I was in, okay? So we're just going to have a little space to hear a, a musician piece together. Uh, I'm not going to sing, but just read the words in a way as we imagine David. Thanks, Lee. down from on high and took hold of me, he drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Good stuff, huh? Thank you, Lee. The phrase that got me was a spacious place. I understood that to get to a spacious place for me was going to be more like rescue than taking a nap. You see what I'm saying? Like to get the... To get everything back, um, oh, for you to understand, I need to back up a little bit. First, let me put this phrase on the screen, really tired. That's what we're talking about this month, okay? What we're going to talk about is what it's like to be really tired. Not, not I need a nap tired, or maybe not even I need a day off tired. You get me? Like, really tired. Our church moved into this building about three years ago this month. Uh, if you don't know our church story, we met in a school for over eight years we had this great journey of, uh, of setting things up and moving all over the place. But what I didn't realize is how much we, and I'll say me, uh, was pushing to get to this place, to get to this moment, right? We had kind of, I found, uh, I realized that the, the whole like inertia of my life was pushing towards something. I don't know where you're kind of headed or what you're going for, but this was, you know, it's like trying to, uh, we were trying to get out of that middle school gym, right? And when we got here about three years ago, it was glorious. Remember, guys? We were like, oh my gosh, it doesn't smell like a middle school gym. And the, the chairs are always here. And it was just sort of this glorious thing. And we celebrated that. It was really cool. And on our fourth Sunday, Sunday here, so it was in April, three years ago, our fourth Sunday, I was standing out in the lobby and people are, we had all these new people and people are milling about, sort of like what we had dreamed would happen. And one of the guys who'd been one of the chairs setting up guys came up to me uh, out in the lobby and he said, this is awesome, right, Jacob? And I was like, this is awesome. And then he asked me this question. He said, so what's next? And I was like, you know, I was like, what's next? I've just been, What's next? But the reason that question hit me so hard is because I love what's next. That's like my thing. What's next is my thing. I love thinking about five years from now. I love dreaming about 10 years from now. I, like, I love thinking, what if we could see everyone fed and everyone free from addiction and everyone safe and every child ready for that? Like, that's what I love to dream about. Well, when he said, what's next, I had this weird feeling in me because I had no what's next. I was like, ooh, I don't really know what's next. I didn't really have that dream that had always been there. So it was a weird moment. 
that same day, right after church. So right after church, I left there and went somewhere else, somebody's house for a gathering. There were some missionaries there. They were going to be telling their story. And I was standing in the kitchen, and people were talking. Like, they're all around me, and people are eating pimento cheese and stuff like that. And there's, there's people talking, but I couldn't hear what they were saying. It was like everybody sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. You know what I mean? And I'm used to Rachel sounding that way, but not like everybody, everybody else. But it's taken years to hone that skill. So this was like everybody sounded that way. And I sat down, and the missionaries were sharing it. And it's like I couldn't, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's like I couldn't focus on what they were on what they were saying. I was like trying to catch my breath. And so I got up and I went out on the front porch and I wasn't having a panic attack. I was just like, I was like touching my ears. Like, why can't I hear? And then just as clear as anything, this is what I realized. As clear as anything, I realized I'm 35 years old and I am really tired. Just like really tired. It was was sort of weird. I wasn't used to being really tired. I was used to pushing toward the goal. So the next morning, I actually called Dan and Mark into my office. Uh, these guys are amazing, wonderful men of God that basically run this church. And um, I told them about what had happened. I was like, man, I think I'm really tired. And you know what they said to me? They said, Jacob, do whatever you need to do. Man, we got you. And he was talking about you guys. Like, we got you. Like, we love you, whatever you need to do. But here's the thing. I didn't know what to do. Uh, shortly after that, I was at a, at a meeting, uh, an out-of-town meeting for Methodist pastors. It's as bad as it sounds. It was like all day and all night and all this. And I was standing outside of this restaurant with my friend, and I sort of like fainted on, on the windowsill. Like I just like, and he had to get this wet rag, and I was sitting out there. I was like, man, I'm really tired. And so I came back, and I had heard about pastors taking, uh, nobody else gets to do this, but a pastor getting to take like a long break, take a month off. I was like, I want to do that. I think I need to do that. I'm really tired. And so I scheduled a month off two years later. I scheduled it two years later because that's when I kind of have everything wrapped up and we'd be in a better spot and all that kind of stuff. It was that dumb, right? And while I was on that break, I read that verse like from the heart of a guy who'd been in the midst of a battle. And something about that phrase, he brought me into a spacious place. When I started reading it over and over again, I started to dream again. That phrase from the holy living word of God made me start dreaming again for me and for you. And so for the last almost year, I have been searching the scriptures from start to finish. I'm barely even into it. I want to be up front because I've been journaling. I call it my spacious place journal. Every place in the Bible where it talks about a spacious place or resting or stopping. And it's so thick that um, I've I've been doing this since July and I'm in Leviticus. Okay. Because I don't, I'm just going to take all the time that it needs because I have to, I have to get this. What I'm saying is we're going to journey for the next four weeks, but you don't have a master teacher before you. There may be somebody else in town who could teach it better, but the way I understand this is like, you guys have me, I have you, okay? And so we're gonna do this real journey together through the scriptures, uh, not uh, you know, somebody who's like at ninja level on this or a master at it, but just sort of working through it. And you could probably tell from the tone of my voice and the light in my eyes that I'm getting better, right? And searching through this and, and finding this out. Um, I've done some different things, been to counseling, seen a spiritual director. I'm going to talk some more about that. But mostly what I've needed to do and still working on is stopping doing some things. 
So what you got today is like that guy who's been at the gym for nine months and he's starting to get ripped and he wants to tell everybody about it, okay? I have not been to the gym in the last nine months at all. I've actually never been to a gym. Um, but it's sort of like that metaphorically, right? So I, I don't do this. So if you're new here, this isn't like my thing, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask those of you who are bold enough, uh, if you're anywhere on this spectrum from feeling a little bit toasty to being really tired, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. And I want to pray this prayer over us, okay? God, we need you to rescue us. To rescue us from a powerful enemy. To set us in a spacious place and to delight in us there. Amen. All right. Here's how important this is. God institutes in creation. Remember, I started at the beginning. In the very beginning, God institutes the importance of stopping and resting. You may have an inkling of the creation story. It's super fun. You can read about it in Genesis 1 and 2. God starts creating in days. Day one, God creates the light. Day two, the sky. Day three, dry ground, land, and the seas. And God looks at it and says, this is good. God begins this rhythm of creation, of creating things that had never been there before, out of nothing, looking at it, thinking it's good, and then saying it's good. So day four, uh, you know, God God creates plants and fruit trees. He says, that's good. Then sun, moon, that's good. Animals, birds, that's good. On and on it goes till day six, God creates us. God creates humans. It says, in God's likeness, God created. And on that day, with the inclusion of us, God looks at the creation and he says, very good. So how many of you looked in the mirror this morning and said, very good? Right? Uh, no, I didn't. That's not. Part, of, part of our wearing ourselves out is our misunderstanding of how God sees us. It goes all the way to the back. Part of why you're wearing yourself out is because you misunderstand how God sees you. God looks at us and it created us in God's own image and says, that's very good. And so God says that before we've done anything, before anything's been done, God says, hmm, very good. You understand the foundation of this? All that creating by God took six days. On the seventh day, Genesis 2-2 says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I need to define a couple of words and then we'll just clip along through this. On the seventh day, God had finished the work and God rested, it says. That word rested is a Hebrew word, Shabbat, where you might hear, if you've been in church a while, the word Sabbath. That's where the word Sabbath comes from. And in the Bible, most places where you have that Hebrew word Shabbat, it's translated rested. However, the word Shabbat literally means stop or cease or end. So what it says is that on the seventh day, God stopped. If you read about the six days, you would see God creating all this stuff. You'd say, you might, you might need to stop. It was a lot, right? But God had the limitless imagination and limitless ability. God could have kept creating for a billion more days, and yet, after God saw us, God stopped. So on the seventh day, God stopped. The other word I want to define is the word that we find there that's holy. So it says on the seventh day, on the stop day, God made the day holy. God made the day holy. The word holy, sometimes we use holy like God's so awesome, holy, holy, holy. What the, what the word holy really means is set apart, uh, different, it's the opposite of common. So God says, this day is now different. 
right? It's different from the rest. This day is now special. This day is the opposite of common. It is the holy day. Most of the time when I think about the word holy or hearing us use the word holy, we're using it in regards to some type of place like the holy mountain or a holy temple. And, and that's okay. That's good. You know, um, even today, the most common way we say holy is like, this is a holy place. This is holy ground. When Notre Dame burned last week, people's hearts were broken. I saw people on social media say, hey, what's the big deal? It's just a building. No, it's a holy place. If you were to read about how Notre Dame was built and the 300, 400-year-old trees that were used to create the trusses, everything about its architecture and its construction was the people of God saying, this is different. This is uh, the opposite of common. This is our holy place. And so when holy things are devastated, we are devastated. We also, a lot of times, imbue holiness to people, and that's good too. God, in the very beginning of the story, if you start reading, he says about a certain people, he says, I will make you unto me a holy people, a holy nation, the holy people of God. What was God saying? These people are set apart. These people are the opposite of common. These people are different. They're the holy people. All I wanna point out to you is that the first thing that God calls holy is time. The first thing that God calls holy is the time when you stop. I expected an audible gasp right there. That, that was like a big moment. Oh, gosh. That was scary. Y'all are awesome. What have y'all taught them? Y'all are, that's great, Pfeiffer. God calls holy time, people, and place. But in that order... I'm not saying one's more important than the other at all, but shouldn't we think and consider, that's interesting, that God called time holy first. We are quick to make a place holy. We cry over Notre Dame. Dads cry taking their sons to Neyland Stadium. I get it, right? We get there on people really quick. I had to start my sermon talking about Jeremy because he's a holy person to me and to God. He's holy. But we stink at letting time be holy. And that's what God calls holy first. Because you can't be in a holy place or encounter the presence of holy people if you're so dang busy, you never stop. So I think one of the best tricks the enemy could get us to do is move around so much that we never encounter holy time. We know about holy place, holy people, but we don't know much about a holy time. And that's where we see um, most clearly our holy God in these stop times. So in my early study, and it's a very early study of spacious places in the Bible, what I've seen that happens over and over with the people of God is they get going, they get moving, they get headed towards a goal, they're pushing for the thing, and God's told, it's a good thing, they're pushing for it, they're going towards it, but as they're pushing towards it, they get distracted, they sort of lose their way, uh, they say they turn their backs on God, they forget about God, they forget about the ways of God, God gets their attention either through like some kind of you know, wind or a prophet or something, God gets the, the attention of the holy people of God and tells them, you have forgotten the Sabbath. We don't talk anything about the Sabbath. And God says, the thing you've forgotten is the stop day, the first thing I made holy. You have forgotten the holy time. Isn't that interesting? That the thing God calls the people back to God's self with is a remembrance uh, to stop. So our main point for today is you have permission to stop. You heard a little bit in my story. Everybody else gave me or would have given me permission to stop. 
I was the one who couldn't claim the permission to stop. So what we have to do then is we have to begin now to set aside time to stop. Set aside time to claim this holy place. Whatever that may be for you, if that's for your family saying Friday night's holy or Sunday's gonna be holy for us or this day, this time, you have permission to do that. In the stopping, you will find the spacious place. In the stopping is where you're gonna find space. If you're looking for space in your life, you're not gonna find it on the move. You will find it stopping. Space for what? Space to grieve, space to give thanks, space to breathe, and space to think. Space to grieve, space to give thanks, space to breathe, and space to think. I wrote this before the loss of our friend, but it's so true. So many of us, this is where you need to start. You need space to grieve. You need to grieve the divorce. You need to grieve the loss. So much of what I run across people as a pastor is grief, but with no space to grieve. No time grieved. Think of the losses you have encountered. And I get it. You have to go back to work. I get it. I'm not saying that, that you don't have to get back to work or get the kids to their places, but, but you haven't stopped. Sabbath, stopping, gives you space, and it's good to do that. It's good if your reservoir of grief is full, it's good to stop and grieve it. In the same way, you need space to give thanks. For me, last weekend was the most amazing weekend ever. Easter was amazing. And we, we asked so much of the folks here at church to welcome other people. We welcome more people to church here than we ever have. It was glorious. I felt like Jesus was glorified. I felt like we were saying, ain't no grave gonna hold my body down, that we, that we celebrated that in a real way. And on Monday morning, I would have loved to hit the ground running, but I'm learning. And so I set aside time to stop and give thanks. I sent notes to people who I really wanted to thank. Uh, I sent an email to the church to say, Thanks. I'm always asking you for stuff. Go back and look. There's no ask in that one. I just want to, I thought, it was, it just have space to give thanks. And we have so many, so many of you in this room have so many beautiful things in your life, so many good things. And it is good and right and holy to give thanks for it, not to keep pushing all the time, to, to, to stay in that spot and to find space to breathe. Um, for some time, Rachel would say to me, I would let out these big, uh, don't do this, okay? Um, I would let out these big uh, uh, sighs, like these big audible sighs, okay? Yeah, you can do it. Just breathe out. And I would, when she would say, like, what was that sigh all about? Like, we'd be in the car, right? Like, on our day off or something. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't, and she's like, you didn't know? You just went, you know? And I was like, no, I missed it. But then I started catching myself. I'm like, oh my goodness, where's that coming from? I learned that actually when you're moving all the time and you don't stop, you actually start taking shorter and shorter breaths. And you can keep that up for three, four, five, six days. But there comes a point when your body is gonna make you breathe, that, be, that big breath. Some of you are looking at me and you're like, Jacob, you're measuring how often and the, and the volume of your size? Yeah, I passed out on a sidewalk, okay? And so celebrating how God is allowing me and you to breathe again. The last one, the space to think, uh, this concerns me because I don't think we're thinking well right now. And what I mean about we, I mean like the people of God, the holy people. 
we now are taking almost all of our information and data from the outside. Uh, I mentioned technology addiction. This just isn't just iPads with uh, middle schoolers or our phones. This is, I see this in my generation. I see this prevalent in baby boomers where we got that phone in our hand. We're constantly taking in information. And when you're constantly taking information and not thinking for yourself, you become a reactive person and you react to all the other data that's coming from the outside instead of being a responsive person who could hear the voice and follow the, what God is leading in your soul. If you're not stopping, you won't be able to hear the voice of God. We're not made just to take in and take in and take in, but to be responsive to God's spirit in us. I think Christian people should be thinking people, that God gave us our brains, but you have to stop to do that. In this journey for me, I've been trying. I found that in the woods is where I think best, and so I, I try three or four times a week to get a walk or a jog in the woods. It's where I find myself able to breathe and able to think. You're like, your body's still moving. Yeah, for me, just uh, I, my body can still be moving, and I can, I can slow down on, on the inside. But here's the best part. I think what the Scripture is really about is space to delight and be delighted in. The stopping allows us space to delight, and be delighted in. Here's what I've learned, guys. God wants you to stop so God can delight in you. God wants you to stop so God can delight in you. There's a connection between stopping and delight. I love, this won't surprise you, I love to be delighted in. I love to be delighted in. One of my favorite things is coming home and hearing my girls say, Dad's home, because they delight in me. I love getting a big old bro hug out in the lobby, like, man, you're awesome. And I'm like, I'm awesome. You know, it's like, I'm being delighted in. I love uh, delighting in my wife and my wife delighting in me. We went on a, on a cruise together and we joked. We're like, we really like each other when we spend time together. But this isn't a joke. Sometimes we can go a whole work week without stopping to delight in each other. And if you know my wife, Rachel, that's a real loss for me. Seriously, that's a real loss. Because time is precious. You say, somebody might say, I don't, what are you talking about, delight? I don't delight, I don't delight much. And I would, I would say to you, I would guess you don't stop much. Because God's created all these things. All the things that happen in the first six days are worthy of delighting in and, and delighting in God. David says, God, God put me in a spacious place. David says, I was, in, I was in war, I was in battle, I was pushing, but the only way I got out is God brought me out and do you know where he, he put me? In a spacious place where I could see things, I could hear again, I could feel again. And he says, God rescued me because he delighted in me. The reason David was pulled out was not because he was a good warrior. No, he was, he was gonna be sunk on his own effort. God delighted in David because David was, his, was very good. David was very good. God delights in you, not what you do. God delights in you, not what you do. God delights in you, not what you do. I like what my kids do sometimes, but I delight in them. I delight in who they are. My daughter Lydia raised a pig this year in the FFA, following in her father's footsteps. <laughs> but I never did the pig thing. In fact, we, we were told it's a hog. I don't know the difference, but you don't call it a pig, it's a hog. So we got the, the hog, like maybe it was a pig when it was little, I don't know. We got a, a hog this size, and it grew to 287 pounds. And then Lydia had to go <laughs> show the hog 
in the state hog show. People came from all over the state with their hogs to show hogs, and we took ours to the hog show. And I took two days off of work to go to the hog show. And Lydia and I sat on the bleachers and we watched hogs all day long. (laughs) That was it. I loved it, Lydia. And the reason I loved, I loved the time with you. I loved the time. That's what I loved. We've even talked about it since then. She's like, hey, remember when we went to the hog show? I'm like, I remember when we went to the hog show. (laughs) I loved it. There was nothing holy about the hog show. (laughs) Nothing. But the time for me was holy. In the garden, I'm almost done. In the garden, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God spent time with his creation. He liked everything he created, so that's good. But when he created Adam and Eve, he said, that's very good. And then God decided, I'm gonna stop for a whole day. And then God set up a rhythm where every day he was walking with his people in the garden. And we focus so much on what comes after that, and we'll talk about it, where we messed everything up, and then we have to start working all the time. But you see, the initial, the initial part was God setting up a place where we could do our things and enjoy creation, and God spend time with us. I think the Sabbath, God instituting us that, commanding us to do that, is God's way of saying, I'm trying to get you back in my garden. I want to walk with you. God is not that impressed with what you do. And you guys do great things. God is not that impressed with what you do. God is delighted in you. God looks at you and it's very good. His creation is very good. Some of you need to hear that in these weeks, we are gonna talk about the value of work, okay? Uh, I'm gonna talk about the value of a full, passionate, focused life, even full life. The spacious places make all that stuff better. I'm gonna affirm some families uh, in our church who are living a very full life. Both parents work, their kids play sports, all that, but they've still got this down because they stop and they delight and they serve Jesus. What what I'm talking about us getting to a place is of seeing this beautiful mess that we can be a part of when we have a rhythm of stopping in the midst of it. If not, we will miss it. You understand that this is not a dress rehearsal for your life, that it's just a vapor, it's just a breath that goes away so fast. This is it, like this is the real deal. And so you can push and you can impress and you can try to get to that goal, I'll join you in that. But you have to stop. On the seventh day, God stopped. God could beat any of us in a creation game. God could beat any of us in creating a cathedral. God could take any of us, you know, in in doing and doing and doing. And God said, man, I'm looking at this. This is very good. I'm gonna take a break. And so today, just let this phrase do in you what it will. You have permission to stop. After God made us, God looked around and said, this is very good, and said, now we're gonna take some time to stop together, and the time that we're stopping together, I'm calling holy. Let's pray. God, thank you for inviting us back into the garden. Thank you for uh, calling us the opposite of common and special to you, a holy people, a holy priesthood. We have no idea how we could be that. The only way is through your holiness and the righteousness of Christ. And so, God, as we come to the table for communion, we take in Christ, broken bread bread representing his body, juice, his blood for our forgiveness, and we receive Jesus. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.